You're listening to the One Small Bite Podcast with me, your host, David Roscoe. For over a decade, I have built a successful nutrition practice helping thousands of people thrive, nourish their life, and break the cycle of crazy diets. We will take one small bite at a time to transform your health and develop a positive relationship to food. So let's chop the diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey, welcome back, folks. This is your host, David Orozco, with the One Small Bite Podcast, episode number 38, and this is part two of how to ditch diets and make peace with food with my friend Elise Resch, co-author of Intuitive Eating. And if you hadn't had the opportunity to listen to part one, please do so. Go back over to part one and listen to the first 10 principles, I mean, first five principles. But um, yeah, stay tuned. We are finishing up starting with principle number six. I just want to remind you folks that if you are interested in doing some intuitive eating and working with someone that takes an anti-diet approach, I'm your man. So is my practice, TD Wellness. Hit me up. Let me know what you think and uh, happy to help you up, tdwellness.com. That is the sponsor of the show today. All right, without further ado, let's go ahead and get to it started. The fullness, there's something, I, I wrote this little paper quite a while ago called The Sadness of Saying Enough. And um, it's so helpful to my clients when they start to recognize that when they are comfortably full when they're eating and know it's time to stop, this emotion comes up. And that is, oh, I'm sad. <laughs> that was delicious. But if I keep eating, I'm going to be physically uncomfortable. I'll become overfull. If I keep eating, the food won't taste as good because I am full. And I really like to help people understand that this is a very um, normal reaction to feel sad when something you know, good is over. When I'm, re- I'm a big book reader. And when I am reading a book I love, I was reading something last night thinking, oh, I'm getting too close to the end. When I'm finished <laughs> with it, you know, I may be excited to find out the story, you know, what's, what's yep. the ending of the story. And then the sadness comes over me that, oh, my goodness, I'm done with this wonderful experience. Same thing with a vacation. <laughs> Again, when we used to be able to go on vacation, you know, it's time to go home. You've had a, you're ready. And yet there's a sadness because you have to go back to all your responsibilities. So I want to help people understand that, if they can acknowledge that moment of sadness and then be able to soothe themselves with the fact that, hey, we get to eat five, six, seven, however many times a day we're hungry and um, tomorrow and the next day and continually that you'll get past that moment of that feeling. I like to call it emotion light versus emotion heavy, mm-hmm. which are things that, you know, wear on you. Yeah. But that yeah. moment, it, you you move off and do something else and it's gone until the next time you eat. <laughs> I like that so much. Yeah, I like that so much, Elise. I keep thinking of the concept of less is more. Yes. And, it, and when you, so that piece, the sadness of saying enough, yeah. it's a good sadness almost, it, mm-hmm. or maybe I shouldn't use the word good, but it's a sadness we need to have, we need to experience. Well, right. Otherwise, everything just goes in a straight yeah. line. You know, I'm very yeah. much a person of contrasts. 
I think mm-hmm. that contrast mm-hmm. is what makes life richer. Mm-hmm. So, and, and think about it. There's night, there's day, the waves go in, they come out. I mean, there's... Yeah. If oh, I'm all, I'm all for contrast, right? I'm a Latino right. man um, uh, married to a blonde, blue-eyed Southern girl. So there you go. I, I, I love contrast. Give it to me. <laughs> all right. So, you know, if all we ever did was, I'm going to give you a couple examples, is be on vacation all the time, it wouldn't have so much meaning. No. Yeah, right. And if all we ever did was eat grilled cheese sandwiches. <laughs> I was just going to use the same. Yeah, beautiful. And I find that uh, in the beginning stages of intuitive eating, people really like to eat all of those foods that they'd forbidden before. After a while, they're craving a salad. Oh, yeah. Right. Exactly. The contrast. I I tell that to people all the time. If you're eating a lot of food that's very what's called hyper palatable, Uh uh, salt, sugar, fat, you know, it's got a lot of flavor and you're Mm -hmm. eating so much of it, your body's going to tell you, I need something else. I was in the Soviet Union before it broke up into all when it broke up into all the little countries. This was Soviet back. Union. Wow, I haven't heard that term yeah. in a while. <laughs> yeah, that was back in 1988. Yeah, and the we were very restrictive. I was on a tour. It was kind of a medical dietitian tour there. It was amazing, and uh, but we had to have all of our meals in the hotel. They would bring us back to the hotel, and the food was horrible. And I didn't have a decent vegetable or salad for ten days. Oh. And, you know, by the time I got home, I'd had as much zippy conca, which was a, kind of like a cheesecake for breakfast. I was dying for a vegetable. I'm sure. So it's whatever we're deprived of, you know. Yeah, want. which is, which at, at, technically is at the core of intuitive eating, is it not? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, you, you mentioned something about, and I'm going to digress here a little bit because I kind of skipped over it, but you kind of brought it up. And so the stages of intuitive eating, sort of that awakening. I I don't want us to go into too much detail. I I, I want to tell people that's in the book. And I think it's very, very important. I love that that you mentioned that, that there are these five stages of uh, intuitive eating. Well, that came out of observing clients and seeing what they were going through uh, throughout it. And so you begin with this place of, I just can't do this anymore, the dieting. Yeah. And at first, it's the exploration of all these foods that you've never allowed yourself to have or had them with negative judgment. And so there's going to be a lot more of the desire for those foods. And, you know, as time goes on and the habituation starts happening, everything kind of takes its place uh, in terms of balance. And you ultimately get to a really great balance. Yeah. Um, The next one is uh, cope with your emotions, with kindness. You've changed yes. that one a little changed bit too. that. We did. Um, I think that it was very important for, we thought that it was very important to help people, <clears throat> excuse me, understand. I think I'll take a sip of water. Please do. Um, help people understand that it's very natural to want to be comforted by food. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn this the moment we're born. I mean, mm-hmm. little infants get you know, pretty soon they get either some sugar water or they get some formula or breast milk. It's sweet, it's comforting, and I think it just becomes, you know, innate to recognize that food can be comforting. And so we want to be kind to ourselves about our emotions. We want to find ways to soothe ourselves, nurture ourselves, cope with these emotions, and not feel bad if food is something we've been using all of our lives. Mm, That's um, good. 
And self-compassion, kindness, self-compassion is a a very big piece of intuitive eating. Yes. You know, David, we can only do what we know to do at that moment. It's just the openness to learn. I mean, in in this era of uh, chaos that's going on in our world today. I know. Racial oppression. And Mm -hmm. we have to be open to keep learning. Yes. And more and more. And so if you bring it back to coping with food, with emotions, if that's the only thing a person has known to do, has had access to do mm. throughout their life, then let's treat it with kindness and rather, rather than judgment. I think that's so spot on. I often tell people that if there's something in life emotionally that's difficult or challenging or hard to deal with, or maybe there's tra- trauma that relives itself in your mind, oftentimes food becomes a way of feeling. I mean, food is feeling. And there's a few things that we put in our bodies that we feel, that make us feel on a regular basis other than our minds. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting because the feelings are relatively the same that the feelings that our mind makes. And so when we're not having that fulfillment or we're not getting the attention or when we are berating ourselves or have that negative Nelly or self-critic just berating us on a regular basis, then food will make us feel comforted. And so that then can perpetuate into greater likelihood of doing more. And but the same with the opposite, right? If I'm not mistaken. Well, and, and something I like to say to people is the most important piece is to stay present. Oh, beautiful. Com- you know, to the comfort you're getting. Because what ends up happening is it may start as a comforting experience and then some old judgment comes in and mm. what am I doing and I'm doing something wrong. And then that presence goes away. The mindfulness goes away. And then people start eating uh, in a way that they think they're, they're coping, but they're really not because yeah. you know, they're not getting anything positive for it. And then they feel physically and emotionally worse afterwards. Yeah. So, um, I think um, we have, I mean, we just have to be kind. I have a model that I created. It's in, actually in the Intuitive Eating Workbook. And ironically, one day uh, a box of books came and they were in a language I had no idea. I couldn't mm. figure out what the language was. Okay. I didn't know what the book was. This is what happens. They just kind of <laughs> send them to us and don't tell us. And I'm looking through it. I don't know what it is. And then as I got to a certain place, I saw the spiral of healing, my spiral of healing in there. And I went, oh, this is the, and it turned out it was the Russian translation of the workbook. And Oh, interesting. <laughs> so, the spiral of healing, my this is this model that came to me one day, is we are always uh, the momentum of, of the healing, and I love to use the word healing, the healing process is upward and onward. So I, I, if you can imagine just a spiral going upward, and when it comes around itself, like a spring, <laughs> those are the moments when sometimes people are going to some behaviors that they've had before that maybe didn't work for them, but it's familiar. Habit, and to when that happens, rather than to think of it as a failure, or I blew it, or I'm regressing, it's like this is my moment for learning and understanding and being curious versus judging. So come, I love that curiosity. Curiosity, yeah, I love it. Isn't it Einstein saying imagination is more important than knowledge? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, it's coming from him, right? It's it's so curiosity. I mean. Weren't we curious to go to the moon? I think that's right. that's really right. right. I mean, 
Um, the next one is respect your body. And if I, if I, if you don't mind, I'm going to quote something in the, yeah, in your, in the book because I love it. I love it. Um, body, vil, vi, excuse me, body vigilance begets body worry, which begets food worry, which fuels the cycle of dieting. As mm. long as you are at war with your body, it would be difficult to be at peace with yourself and food. Absolutely. Correct. Oh, that um, is so powerful right there. I love uh, that statement. And that's why there's a lot in this book about um, diet culture and weight stigma and weight bias and a belief that there's something wrong with us if we are not meeting some standard that's for some people never attainable because we're all yeah. DNA programmed. We're going to be the size, shape, you know, height, color of our eyes. I mean, this is how we're programmed. And so people pursue uh, a way of changing themselves and they can never be, never be happy. You know, I was going to save the question about weight stigma um, for later. I think this is a good opportunity because this really falls into this um, respect your body principle uh, without a doubt. And I, I, I want to start that by saying that I had a person I was working with not so long ago, a couple of years ago, and she was doing great with intuitive eating. I mean, we were doing great for several months. If things were going just fantastic, she went and she had a doctor's appointment and the doctor said, Oh, I'm really pleased. You lost, you know where this is going. (laughs) You lost uh, your, your blood pressures improved your uh, blood sugars. You're not in the prediabetes range any longer. So on and so on praises left and right. And then she goes, you can stand to lose a little bit more weight. I mean, unfortunately, the medical model does not recognize, in fact, it promotes a belief yes. that, uh, that a person's weight is a determinant of their health. Right. And it's not true. It's what is, there may be some correlations between weight and health, in, but that doesn't, it's not causation. It's not looking at right. what are these other determinants, what, you know, poverty and, you know, access to food and access to to healthcare, and even if there is access, it's so many people will not go to the doctor because the doctor will say, get on the scale, and they feel shame, and the doctor often shames them, or just says, okay, go lose 20 pounds, great, you know, do no harm, isn't that the Hippocratic? Right, yep. Such harm, because they're sending them out to do something that's going to be a failure, and so people avoid their doctor appointments. Sometimes they'll avoid movement because they feel like they're going to be shamed, bullied, you know, in the world because of their size. So um, weight stigma is... Oh, so rampant. Yeah. And so we're working very hard on, you know, acceptance, on body love, body acceptance. And uh, a term I use very often in my work is radical acceptance. Mm, That's great. It comes from uh, it comes from Buddhism, actually. Not that I am Buddhist, but it's a it, it's the concept of really determining whether something is changeable or not, and when it's not, to be able to accept it in every cell of your body, and it really reduces suffering when you do that. Um, I have a very personal example, if you want me to. Please. <laughs> so I have um, a beautiful, wonderful son who is forty nine years old who has schizophrenia. And he was diagnosed at 19. So there's been 30 years of... Wow. Yeah, a lot of pain. And I spent a lot of years thinking, oh, you know, first of all, oh, if only I'd done this or we'd done that, this wouldn't oh, have happened, which isn't true. 
And then a lot of years, so, oh, let's just find the right doctor and the right medicine, and then he'll be able to live a, quote, normal life. And when I, I love I that you say, quote, yeah. yeah, quote, quote, unquote. Um, and when I finally got to that place of acceptance, radical acceptance, that mm. this was, you know, it was genetic, it was probably from a grandmother of mine, and this is his journey, this is his path, I have such gratitude and joy and pleasure in him without expectation of it being mm. something, you know, society expects of yeah. Know, children. Yeah. Yeah. So I find that radical acceptance is such an important piece of healing. And in this, this work with intuitive eating, it's the radical acceptance of let's treat our bodies with love and care and nurturance and not spend right. our lives feeling, number one, that we're not good enough if our bodies don't meet some impossible standard. Number two, that um, it's keeping us from having joy when we're beating up our bodies and thinking that the only way we're going to be able to get fulfillment and joy is if we change our bodies. We'll never get there. No, absolutely not. You're so right. It's, it's, a, it's such a worthless cause. Yes, I mean, yes. acceptance... It brings to mind acceptance commitment uh, 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 yes. theory from yeah. Russ Harris um, and how that's so important because if, if you can come to a place of acceptance, radical acceptance, I love that, you can move. You can, you can move forward. You can enjoy life. You can go, my son is fantastic. Right. And he is. He's just yeah. so funny and <laughs> wonderful. And I'm so grateful for the place he's in now. And he's got, he's living in a wonderful place where the staff are wonderful. And I get to visit him for standing outside on the sidewalk while he's on the inside of the gate because of, you know, social distancing. But, yeah. yeah. Um, so I just think that that's a, a very important piece in general of life is that radical acceptance. Elise, thank you so much for that vulnerability and sharing that story. That really, really speaks so loudly. I, I want to contribute to that too and say that my mom was of higher weight and the doctors kept telling her she's got to lose weight, she's got to lose weight. And so when I hear my clients or people I work with say the same thing, I am quick to say, you are beautiful. You are fantastic the way you are. When a person that is higher weight comes into a room, you don't think immediately that they're horrible people, but we do that to ourselves. And that's what we need to change is that perception of ourselves. Nobody can tell you who you are. You are who you want to be. Well, you know, we also have to be aware of our own thin privilege if we have it. And when that's we are good. when we are talking to people who will say, well, yeah, but you don't know, you don't, you don't live in that body. And so right. we have to acknowledge, acknowledge that. Very good. So good. So good. Oh my gosh, Elisa, I'm going to, I'm, I feel so bad that this is soon. Gonna, this is like what we were talking about a little while ago, but um, I'm moving on to number nine, which is uh, movement. Feel the difference. That, that title too. Um, yes. Yes. Exercise. It's, um, it's a really um, important piece to me that we have to find ways that feel good that we can enjoy moving our bodies. We're meant to move, you know, if we, if gratefully, if we are able to move, if our bodies right. are functional and can move from birth, you know, babies are jiggling and wiggling and fish, you know, yeah. around the bowl. And, and yet so many people don't give themselves the joy of movement because they don't think they're doing enough of it. They don't think that they're doing it right. They're attaching it to weight loss and, 
by the way, there is no connection. And nope. yep. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you're an intuitive eater and you're moving your body a lot, you're going to get hungrier. Yep. You know, because the, the instinctual part of the brain doesn't know about diet culture and just wants to keep you where you are. Yep, exactly. There's a word I like, which is homeobalance. I don't know. I think it's made up, but uh, <laughs> I love it. Not homeostasis love it. because things are changing all the time. But yeah. you know, our the instinctual part of the brain wants to keep us where we are, uh, where our DNA sends us. So uh, thinking that you're just going to go off and exercise it to lose weight is another setup, you know, another setup for failure. So we want to look at it as what kind of movement can I bring into my life that feels good to me, whether it's dancing or walking, taking walks or swimming or, and some people do love exercise and that's fine if they do enjoy that experience as long as they decon, you know, deconnect it. Yeah. Word, Detach. From, yeah. That's <laughs> another <laughs> word uh, from, from weight. Yeah. So that's what that chapter is about. And movement, there's an acronym, NEAT, N-E-A-T, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Basically, you know, just the energy that's create, that you burn while you are just moving your body, you know, creating, it, creating heat energy. And that can be walking upstairs. That can be, um, you know, parking your car a little further. It just can be cleaning your house. Boy, I've been cleaning my house, <laughs> which I don't right. do. And I am amazed at how much movement. And I was a two-story house, so I'm up and down the stairs. And yeah, me, me too. I, I work from home, especially because of uh, COVID. And I enjoy doing the laundry because it makes me move. And uh-huh. I mean, I'm not going to the gym. No way I'm going to go to the gym anyway. But um, I, I believe it or not, I do love doing, uh, uh, going up and down the stairs and cleaning. And, and then I love cooking. And people don't realize that in cooking, you're also moving quite a bit too. Yeah. yeah. So that chapter is really about looking at any uh, type of uh, resistance that one has from movement because maybe it was attached to weight or maybe it was attached to, gee, you're 40 years older than you were when you could do that. And I don't want to do it now because I'm going to realize how old I am. Or, you know, there's <laughs> yeah, many yeah. things. Or, or maybe there's a disability and that people can't move in the way that they used to move. So that's, that's what the movement chapter is all about. Yeah, and, but it's not, it's not about the hiring a personal trainer and doing a circuit crazy workout training in order to be able to lose weight. Because it goes back to that forward that you had. It, this is also not a diet program in itself. Eat, intuitive eating isn't a way to, oh, well, if I become an intuitive eater, then that's how the weight's going to come off. No, that's not what this is. Well, that's what, by the way, that is what some people think. Yes. That. If I just do intuitive eating perfectly, then I will lose weight. So they're really, it's a false, well, it's a pseudo diet in a sense, you know. Right, right. It's a co-oping, I, I think yeah. I've heard say. Yeah, it's like people are using the terminology in order to, to, to be able to sneak in, oh, I can lose weight because I'm, I'm not trying to lose weight. It's magically happening. Yeah, and it really detaches them from their inner wisdom. Yeah, that's... It that way. And it does create a sense of deprivation because if you are eating something that you really want and then you think, oh, but if I eat that you know, I won't lose the weight. So maybe I can have that instead. No longer are you have you made peace with food. No longer are you thinking about the pleasure and joy. It's the focus then goes externally to weight loss. Right, exactly. Um, and then number 10, I think this also ties into that, that same concept. People think number 10 is, oh, well, that's how then I'm going to end up losing weight, which is honor your health, gentle nutrition. 
Well, they also, not only that, but they also think, okay, when is she going to, you know, bait and switch? Now she's going <laughs> to tell me what I have to eat to be healthy. Right. So I think that there's a very orga- organic process that happens as people, you know, are disco- rediscovering their intuitive signals. There's a point at which when they've made full peace with food, when they know that they can have whatever they want without any judgment and without it being taken away, sometimes people start to realize they don't feel as well as they'd like to feel. And they realize maybe they haven't eaten a fruit or a vegetable in a long time. And then they come in and say, well, wait, I do want to learn a little bit about nutrition. And when someone is at that point and is inviting, well, me in a, or you in as, dietitian, as mm-hmm. a dietitian, then we can help them learn more about nutrition. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I love talking to someone about nutrition. I, I can talk about nutrition until I'm blue in the face. The science behind it fascinates me. But you've got to be ready to discuss it in a way that is in line with what you are valuing. You know, you're not valuing the nutrition to lose weight. You're valuing because, hey, oh, this is interesting. When I eat this, it does make me feel this way. I wonder what's behind that. Right. So it's um, it can't be... It's very purposeful that in all of the nutrition, uh, I'm sorry, in all the intuitive eating books, it's always the last chapter. Yeah, yeah. You really have to get to that point where you're ready for it. And sometimes people aren't ready for a long time, and that's fine too. They've been on so many diets that the idea of eating you know, a carrot or something right. is diet-oriented or an apple that, that they just can't. So there's a God, has to be an emotional healing that goes on from diets. Diets are traumatic. You talked about trauma, but you mentioned trauma before. Diets create trauma. Yeah, I tell people about that. I'm glad that you're bringing that up again. I I think that's so important because a lot of people don't realize that trauma, yes, you have a car accident, you might have been abused one way or another, or there might have been a loss in your family or something very big, right? But what we really don't realize is that these are more micro-traumatic events in life. And a diet is more like a mi- micro, maybe a little bit macro, but I a micro. I think it's micro. I think it's macro. Oh, you do? You do? I, I really think it's traumatic because it can capture somebody for their whole lives. I've known people who have been dieting all of their lives. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, and they can't get out of it. And it's an oppression. It comes from diet culture. And it's something maybe they haven't had the ability to find somebody to help them out of it. So every day of their lives, they don't feel good about themselves because they're failing at that diet. You know, that's, that's, so, that's so good. Yeah, I guess you're right. And oh, that's so beautiful that you're saying it that way. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the thing that I wanted to get to is, is, you know, you get someone come in the door. Now we have these 10 principles. You get someone to come in the door as a dietitian myself. And uh, they love intuitively. I think, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. What do we say when they absorb it all and they still want to lose weight? Okay, so let me start by saying I have great compassion for people saying that they want to lose weight because they are programmed that way because diet culture gets them there. I don't have judgment about people who are feeling, um, you know, that it's going to give them what they think they want if they lose the weight, that they're going to feel physically more comfortable. I don't judge anybody. And what what I do say, however, is that if you keep the focus on weight loss, you're not really going to be able to tune in to your inner signals about hunger, fullness, satisfaction. And so I help people find the things that they're not doing right now, that they're waiting to do when they think they can lose weight. 
mm-hmm. and help them incorporate them as best they can in their lives right then. But here's the other thing. This is what I, what I, how I really help people is I have them sit down with a pro-con list and I have them list all the things that dieting or the hope of, you know, whatever dieting was going to give them has given to them. And on the other side, what is it taken away? So that they can see in front of them um, that there have been benefits to them. It's kept them from having to deal with other things in their lives that they don't want to. And yet, you know, they're feeling so bad about themselves on the other side of the coin. And so I'll say to them, okay, we understand why you've gone there. We understand how, you know, the, the cult nature of diet culture, the cults in diet culture. <laughs> yep. and, um, and yet it hasn't ever really worked. So here's the thing. Rather than looking at weight loss, and I understand that's your desire, let's just look at if we can change some behaviors right now that will give your, your life more meaning, more joy, and come to radically accept that focusing <laughs> on the weight loss is something that's only going to bring you unhappiness. You know, I do the exact same thing in a different way, or I say it in different ways. I love hearing it from you, Elise, because that is right. Let's look at, okay, instead of going, let's lose weight, let's go, what about a diet you've done before that made you feel good? What was it and why? And now, is that something that you can do a good long time? In other words, but that's in line with listening to your body. And I'll say, okay, you know, let's use an example. You had a serving of fruit or vegetable at a meal because a diet told you that that's what's supposed to happen. But you realize, hey, that makes me feel okay. (laughs) I say, okay, that's what we're going for there. That feeling, that understanding, you're opening the door. You're starting to really tune in. Am I on to something there? Yeah, and and the other piece of it that I think is so important when I do that pro-con list is that, and I just said that sometimes being on the diet actually is a coping mechanism for some people because because it does distract you from life, which Mm -hmm. is also on the con side as well. and I think when people finally let go of coping mechanisms that weren't positive for them in the big picture, but gave them something, when they let go of it, they feel a sadness, going back to sadness. And I want to help them understand that they are going to have to mourn the loss of giving up dieting. <laughs> Why would you do? One of my favorite phrases is, we don't do anything for no good reason. So we keep doing things, and even though they've never worked, they're doing them for something that they haven't figured out. And so just acknowledge that it did give you something, but but now you've come to a place where you realize it's taking way more away from you than it's giving you. And okay, it's okay to to feel those feelings you're feeling. Do you don't you have that exercise in the workbook as well? The pro that con? pro con. I think yes. yes yeah, I yeah. I, I think so too. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, that's. That's in the workbook. I, I've used yeah. it with clients myself. So yes. I'm and so glad. Way, when you talk about the workbook, my teen book, which is not just for teens, it's for the teen in each of us. And so yes. many of my adults have found that it brings them right back to some of those early diets, to those early feelings, and allows them to do some healing going back to that place where damage started. I'm so glad you bring that up because when, when you were talking about your teen workbook, I kept thinking, I bet you that would work for adults because okay. so much of our eating is experiential. I mean, I often tell people that we are learning our emotions at the same time we're learning our palate. So, you know, it's you're eating. Yeah. What's, it's what's that? It's developmental. Yeah. Right. Right. 
Right. Yeah. And, so, and, and I do believe, as I said to you earlier, that uh, we each have a teen in us, and uh, that's yeah. the autonomous space, the rebellious part of us that says, no, 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 you're not going to tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. So it really speaks It speaks to the teens. I had one client who, doing one of the exercises, came uh, upon a discovery of something that was traumatic in her early life that was um, just mind-blowing to her that she had never really realized and it changed everything. It was just a, it was a moment in time that came from the teen book that she would not have gotten it had she not done that exercise. So. That's great. And it unlocks that to help, you know, help her acceptance, right? Radical acceptance. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I, uh, I want to ask something that I didn't get to ask. That's okay. completely different from okay. all of this. Okay. I, I, I want some, I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit too. Okay. And I should have asked you early on, but I'd love for you to tell them a little something, a little fun fact about you that most people don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, I was born in Chicago and okay. when I was seven years old and in second grade, my teacher called my mother and said, oh my goodness, your daughter has all this amazing artistic potential. Get her into an art class. And this was well before the internet or an ability <laughs> for you know parents to research what's best. And okay. My mother put me into a class at the Art Institute in Chicago, with this, which is this wonderful museum. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, the class was all adults, and there was a model on the stage. Fortunately, not nude. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I, had a, I had this uh, tablet with some, you know, with the, a marker to to have to draw that. But the interesting piece is that every Saturday, I got on the bus from the south side of Chicago all by myself took it downtown to the Art Institute Wow! Um, to take this class. We couldn't allow kids. It was probably be child abuse now. No, yeah, nobody does that here's anymore. Here's the best part. I go to Chicago as often as I can because I love it. And every time I go to the Art Institute and I will go to a guard and say, will you please unlock that door? I want to go into that room. And they always have to go and get permission and they'll unlock the door. It's now just apparently a lecture hall. And I walk in and I sit down approximately where I sat when I was seven and I sit there and let it flood me of my little kid being present. Right there. Oh, that is beautiful. <laughs> that is so great. And I've never been denied it every single time. There's a little bit of a, you know, oh, I don't know if we can do that. And then it's like, let me be yeah. not as big as it was when I was seven. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I bet you're tapping into something there about, you know, that child in us, that teen in us, that curiosity in us. It's so beautiful. It's yes. so, that innocence is so important. Well, it's a big piece of my work. I do a lot of inner child work with my clients. And, uh, oh, that's great power to you i haven't been able to work with kids myself but oh no i mean inner child with my adult clients oh oh good point (laughs) (laughs) i have had children as clients all ages but no i it's the child in each of us and the teen in each of us that really helps me help people get to a place of healing Uh, acknowledge that part of themselves that's that's a wonderful story, Elise. That's so beautiful to be able to go to a place and to remember it at age seven. It must have had a very beautiful impact on you. But I will say my artistic challenge did not get developed. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't graduate? You didn't graduate from Juilliard or anything? Oh, no, no, no. Well, I mean, I'm glad that you didn't because otherwise we wouldn't have this fantastic, wonderful book. So thank you very much for not going into art. <laughs> Um, All right. So uh, one main takeaway, what would you like to leave our audience with? Um, 
I really believe, as I said earlier, the key to intuitive eating is seeking satisfaction, really looking at what foods give me pleasure? What do I love? How do I feel when I eat? Um, do I get the best enjoyment of food at, you know, at being moderately hungry? Do I get the most enjoyment of food when I'm uh, respectful to myself? Uh, do I get the most enjoyment with food if I'm staying present? So I think that satisfaction will be the guide. And that's where I start. And that's where I continue with all my clients throughout. So if they'll come in and say, well, I just ate that whole bag of cookies. And again, no judgment. It's like, how many of them were really satisfying, you know, which just helps people look at it uh, in a non-judgmental way. Oh, Elise, that's fantastic. I thank you so, so much for that. I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more about the satisfaction piece. Seeking satisfaction is at the core. I mean, when you think about honor or hunger and fullness, you can have, you can be full, but you won't be satisfied, right? Right. Satisfaction is a whole different thing. I mean, you can eat a, you know, some very um, unpleasant <laughs> bowl yeah. of something and yeah. you're really full, but then it's like, ugh. That yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. Elise, I want to say thank you so much for your time. This has been an incredible pleasure. I am so honored to have you on my show. Um, I am going to ask one little thing, one last thing. Would you be able to come on the show maybe another time in, in the future? Oh, anytime. I love, oh, okay. I love being able to spread this word. You said something earlier about there's just so many clients. Maybe it was before the, we mm-hmm. started talking, but there's just so many people who we can actually physically you know, see, well, or virtually see. So the more that people have access to listening to podcasts and, you know, the reading of all the books. um, Yeah. Yeah. So I'm happy to do this anytime you want, David. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Lastly, where can people find the book? Uh, It is available wherever books are sold. uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and I guess we're not going into bookstores right now, but. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, Well, I'll have links. Sorry? No, no, go ahead. Uh, I'll have links to the Amazon um, link to the the book on my website, but I'll also have links to uh, intuitiveeating.org as well. If yeah, I'm I'll also put a link to Barnes & Noble because they're, they get their help oh. insert when they think that everybody's going off to Amazon. So Barnes Okay. Noble, um, Barnes, no problem. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yes. Perfect. And then um, maybe on social or, or do you want people to know where you are on social? Is that okay? Or? Uh, I'm on Instagram barely here and there. <laughs> and then I find something cute to put on there. I'm not much of a social media person because okay. number one, it's not been part of my life, but number two, you know, the way it has for so many younger people. Yeah. But it's more that I, my time and energies are put into my clients and into writing and I just don't have the time to get that involved in it. But I do have an Instagram account and I put some cute things on there. And that's Adelise Resch. And uh, I do have a Facebook account, but I rarely am on there. So yeah. you can yeah. find me in those places. I'll and put I, those. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put those links on, on, on my show notes as well. I have my own personal website besides the intuitiveeating.org website, which will um, list all of the studies that are done, list how to become a certified intuitive eating counselor, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, my website is elisresh.com. Okay. And, um, and I've got a lot of things, words of wisdom and books I recommend. It's a little more personal of a, of a website. Oh, thank you so much, Elise. Okay. I'll make sure to put that in my show notes as well. So um, again, Elise, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. 
I have so many more questions and so many more topics to talk about. <laughs> well, I think the last one you had, a, you, you had said that you might ask me what I would eat if it was my last meal. Oh, well, I was going to ask that, but I thought, I don't know if, I, if that's going to take up too much of her time, but oh, okay. It would, let's, mo- it would just be a moment. It would no, have, go for it, please. It would have to be pasta pomodoro with some really good ciabatta bread and a great oh. salad and some coffee ice cream. So oh, <laughs> perfect that's- meal. That's fantastic. That's so good. That's awesome. Thank you again, Elise. And I really appreciate it. I really thank you so much. Okay. We'll see you soon. Okay. All right. Amazing. Elise is just incredible. Thank you so much, Elise, for being part of the show and all your great wisdom. I want to just let everybody uh, leave with some reminders and summary for everyone. It's just so much information. We started off in this part two with number six, which is feel your fullness. Um, Number seven, cope with your emotions with kindness. Number eight, respect your body. Number nine, movement, feel the difference. Number 10, honor your health, gentle nutrition. I like all of the pieces on there, radical acceptance and the spiral of healing upward and onward. Um, uh, the concept of neat non-exercise activity, neo, uh, I mean, thermo, uh, thermogenesis, <laughs> I can't get all caught up here. Sorry, folks. But uh, she's just got some great information, you know. Uh, and, and of course, the, her, her takeaway, right? Seeking satisfaction. This is the key to intuitive eating. If you get the book, you'll, you'll see in that chapter how intuitive eating is in, in a circle with all 10 principles on the outlier and satisfaction in the center, looking at it from a non-judgmental lens, and of course, making food enjoyable again. It's so funny, I think I've mentioned this before, I've had Dr. Christine Rosenblum and Tom Kish from the 8-App and Evelyn Trivoli, of course, uh, Ellie Krieger, Liz Weiss, all these great uh, experts and dietitians, and we all say the same things. So much about making that food enjoyable. You know, that's what eating healthy really is. It's not just fresh fruits and vegetables, lean proteins, healthy fats, and Mediterranean diet and fasting. And you know what it is? It is coming to peace with food. And enjoying that satisfaction, knowing that there is a difference between eating a sleeve of Oreo cookies versus one or two or a tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I think it's very important that we tap into that. You know, I want to go back to the talk that I had about my mother. You know, this is the reason why intuitive eating was so important to me because during that time, we were coming up with crazy diets. I remember we were on the raw food diet when my mother was diagnosed with colon cancer. And then she started buying these NRT supplements, natural receptor killer cell supplements or something. I don't know what it was. And it was such a load of crock. The FTC came along and closed them down. And and gosh, that that's just an, a, a time in my life that I keep thinking about, especially when I'm working with people and they're they're desperate for another diet. And, you know, they feel like that not having a diet. What do they do? How do they cope? And oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this weight? And not realize that they're so beautiful and they're they're fantastic people. And, you know, that's again, this is another reason why I brought on Elise Resch and Intuitive Eating. I hope you guys enjoyed. I really, 
I'm pleased that she was able to spend a good amount of time, and I was glad to put this into two parts. I'm so sorry that it took a little bit longer than our usual podcast episodes, but so much information. And of course, I'm going to have both Evelyn and Elise back on one of these days. Uh, and you know, now it's time for me to switch and bring it into our show. But before I do, I want to remind you that the show is brought to you by my pot by excuse me by my practice TD Wellness. And if you can, I would love for you to leave me a review in your podcast uh, new or feed. You know, go down to the end and and I don't know how you do it on Stitcher or Spotify, so I, you got to forgive me. I know I'm going to Apple Podcasts often, but that's the one that I'm most familiar with. I promise I'll get the uh, understanding. But I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you think, and uh, I'd love to hear what new ideas you have. Stay tuned. I've got some great guests coming up and some more Friday food hacks, as well as my good friend and uh, licensed clinical uh, therapist, uh, no, social worker, (laughs) he's going to kill me, Uh, Patrick Bryant. We're going to talk about some more guy stuff as well. So, all right, folks, until next time, I really appreciate you for listening in. Remember, hey, here we go, right? Chop that diet mentality. Let's fuel our bodies and, oh, come on, let's nourish that soul. Love you, folks. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.